Welcome back to Hot Takes Only. This is episode 25. Willie, sure. welcome back. What's up? Yeah, we're on a good streak, man. On a good streak. Yeah, we've we've had one interruption so far since the quote-unquote resumption of our show. The yeah. coronavirus pandemic has made this a lot easier because it forces right. me specifically to be at home. So it's kind of like just laser in on this podcast thing. And it's just more fun. Yeah, uh, no, absolutely. And it's just one of those weird times. We were talking before I hit record on the stream. So if you're listening to this, not on stream, Willie and I were just talking politics for a little bit. Today is two days after the election. And we still don't know who the president-elect is going to be or if Trump is going to have four more years. And we know this isn't a political podcast, but there's just a lot of misinformation and a lot of concern and a lot of uncertainty these days with our political system. And I think the best thing I can say right now is that ultimately the strongest thing in this country is our democracy and the system that has been in place since since 1776. And yes, there have been changes along the way. And, and you may think like I do in some cases that there need to be certain changes, but for now, this is what it is. And I think calm heads will prevail. That said, there still is a lot of uncertainty and a lot of misinformation and a lot of lying on the part of the president, which is always a bad thing. Yep. Absolutely. So, but we're not here to talk politics. That's for another discussion entirely. That's for, you know, your Thanksgiving and Christmas discussions gone wrong with your families. Uh, of course, we are in a pandemic. So, you know, traveling to see family is going to be not a, a bad idea. But, you know, obviously exercise caution if that is something that you are going to end up doing. Yeah, be and, careful. Yeah, just, just you know, take this seriously. This pandemic isn't going away anyway, anytime soon. This virus isn't going away anytime soon. And it doesn't care how much money you make. So that's right. You got to throw out all of the arguments for for economic uh, destruction, if you will, as it pertains to closing and opening countries, because you can't take money with you if you're dead. You know, I hate to put it that way, but anyways, grim start to the podcast. But we are going to talk some more positive stuff, uh, even though the UK just went on lockdown today because of their, their spike in cases. And meanwhile, in the United States, there's still no mandate on masks, which figure that one out but we've got some premier league this weekend and there's a couple games in particular that are pretty significant for multiple reasons and i want to start with saturday at 4 30 a.m pacific time 7 30 a.m eastern time everton manchester united uh so thankfully everton lost a game another game or they didn't they're, they're no longer top of the table they're no longer unbeaten which i can sleep a little better at night (laughs) <laughs> They're playing a side in Manchester United who have been sensational at times, beating Leipzig 5-0, beating PSG 3-0, and losing to Arsenal and losing to a Turkish side whose name I can't remember, but that was their first ever win in the group it's stage of the Champions League. Istanbul, Beşiktaş. Yeah. So, and funny story, Demba Ba scoring a goal similar to the goal that he scored for Chelsea in 2014 yeah. that... Yeah. Took the title that people say it, it took, took the, the title, title away from Liverpool. It was really the three-three Crystal Palace. I, people don't want to talk about that one game apparently, but it is what it is. Ironic is that? Yeah. So United obviously have been up and down all season, and to see this kind of game when the form t- the the form of these two teams is starting to be more up and down than just consistently high is going to be a really good game. And it's it's interesting because I was I was reading a little bit earlier today about what people are thinking of Solskjaer. And specifically, whether or not United are going to target a certain Argentinian manager who was sacked at the end of last year. 
yes. in Pochettino. Yes. So, Willie, I'm curious to get your take on this. I feel like I've been rambling a little bit. Everton, okay. United, what do you got for us? Wow. Um, you know, I don't really exactly know what to expect, right? Like you said, um, but based on their domestic form, right, I, I think we should be, be clear. And, and the fact that other than those two Champions League wins, their domestic form has been pretty terrible for the most part. Um, and um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm expecting the downhill, downhill trend to continue. Um, there are some really scary signs for Manchester United right now, uh, particularly in their defense and their midfield. Um, and I expect the calls for Pochettino to get louder if there's another if there's another poor performance. And and I'll, I'll there is just too many parts of the team right now that just look disjointed to me when you watch them. Yeah, it's a little bit. It's there just doesn't seem to be that continuity that established core of players that in years past with United and granted when you talk about United for the years that Sir Alex Ferguson was at the club I mean you're you're talking about one of the all-time greatest runs of form one time one of the just consistent greatness every single season mm -hmm. uh, you you looked at especially you know when you and I were kind of growing up in the early to early to mid 2000s I mean I wasn't a big fan at the time but I kind of knew who some of the guys were or before he we went to Madrid David Beckham Rio Ferdinand when he joined, Vidic, Giggs, yeah. Neville. You had an mm -hmm. skulls, you had an established core of players at United. These days, you have the same players who are getting the headlines. Marcus Rashford for multiple reasons. He's doing well on the pitch and off the pitch. He's absolutely exceeding. Hat hat tip to Marcus Rashford. Anthony Martial, who's been up and down his entire United career. Mason Greenwood, who has promise but is still young and still kind of behaves like he is young especially off the field, but we'll talk about that at a certain, at a later date. And Bruno Fernandez. Everyone else in the team, including their most expensive player mm. in Paul Pogba, is a giant question mark. Mm -hmm. And that's, for a team like United, that's, that's the opposite of what they have been throughout their history, sure. certainly in the last 30 years or so. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, um, I think that, we have to, you know, with Paul Pogba, I, I think that we have to revise, to be honest with you, I really think we have to revise our expectations from Pogba. Um, first of all, his plays is terribly inconsistent. You know, there are stretches throughout seasons where he looks great. Then there are stretches where he doesn't. And then, you know, Towards the end of last year, the team is playing well, and he's excited to stay. And then now this year, people are talking, should he go? I, I just, you know, he's, he's you know, Jamie Carragher was saying it, you know, during the Champions League show. Like, he he's very talented, and there are days he can look great. But overall, he's just not very consistent. And it's a, it's a big problem for this team. And truthfully, at some point, you know, I wonder if he's more trouble I hate to say it, then he's worth it. You know? yeah. I mean, nobody disputes the quality. No one disputes his credentials. I don't think mm -hmm. anyone disputes what he can bring to the table at his very best. For mm -hmm. some reason, and pundits literally across the world are trying to figure out why Paul Pogba for France, for the France international team, is a total complete midfielder and at the top of his game almost every single game. 
Whereas with Manchester United, you get good, but you also get invisible and awful. I don't know if it's if it's pressure, if it's a different sense, or if, quite simply, he's playing in a France team that, for the better part of, what, the last six, seven years, have been loaded at every single position. And it takes a bit of the pressure off you when you when you don't have to be the best player on the pitch. You can be still, but you don't have that burden. You don't have that that mentality of, I absolutely have to go out there and give 110%. I have to be the best. I have to do this, and I have to do that. I don't feel like he has that with United, and I don't know if it's if it's a psychological thing or if it's just the system or the players around him, but whoever figures out what's wrong with Paul Pogba as, as far as his club competitions are concerned, they're going to be a, a billionaire because United are going to want to pay that much money to figure out how they sure. get the best of their most expensive player. You know, I think that also... No, you're absolutely right. I think that... The, but I also think the, I think part of the problem is with their expectations. The thing is, like you know, when you're with a national team, you're very motivated. But the thing is, like the way he plays, you're right. The way he played with Juventus in France was incredible. But specifically with France is where you really see this like box the box player that everyone fantasizes over. The guy that plays that kind of deep holding midfielder, but makes those like driving runs forward. And I just think that you know. Pogba maybe could just simplify the game for him. You know, he you have Bruno Fernandes now, so I don't think he needs the thing, you know, to be that offensive force, but they want him to. So I think it would help to simplify the game a little bit and just if he is willing to just play a little bit of a deeper role. That's my take. No, I agree. And as soon as they figure out that best position for him, they're going to be really successful, at least more successful than they have been in the last few years. I mean, obviously they finished third last year, which is a pretty significant achievement considering how how much Liverpool won the league by at one point and, how, and where they were at one point in the table. But so far this year, it's been everything from sensational in Europe to completely abject in the league. Mm. So mm-hmm. it's one of those things where we don't really know what to expect. You know, 10 yeah. years ago, if you, saw, if you saw this fixture coming up, you thought 3-1 United. You thought, okay, maybe Everton could nick a goal, but... They're going to score, they're going to play hard, they're going to play well, and they're going to win. These days, yep. it's not as much of a certainty. And that's the same with a lot of a lot of other big clubs. Arsenal is kind of in that mold, but they have an identity. And people are saying too, like the two Robbies on NBC and Tim Howard as well, they're they're talking about the lack of an identity with Manchester United. And yeah, and yeah no, do you, do you, I, it's a question, like, do you buy into that? I I, I think they're, they're absolutely right. And I think that this... This year, the beginning of the season, has really proved to me one thing. You know, I think that, you know, Ali Gunnar Solskjaer, the way they ended the season, and his, you know, full season, you, you had to give him a chance. Um, and the question we were wondering was, are they... Because there were some really good signs at the end of last year, and I think that their identity that they were forming was a really good defensive team that can hit you on the counter. That's the way they're playing at the end of the season. That's the that's the way that they went far into the Europa League in the semifinals, um, and probably should have beaten Sevilla. Got very unlucky. Um, they 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 were very good defensively last season, one of the best defensive teams in in the league. And then you saw you know Green you know Greenwood had a good year. 
Martial and, and Rashford had their moments, and Bruno Fernandez was really good. Um, but this year, it's I think they've they've proven they're too inconsistent, and they really don't have an identity because that defensive identity, you know, is gone. They haven't been good on defense. And I mean, geez, like those, uh, you know, the defending in the Istanbul game. It's like my gosh, like yeah, there's. Awful. <laughs> there's there's no organization, there's no shape. I mean, the goal we were talking about earlier, Demba Ba's goal. Yeah. There's there's zero organization and there's zero awareness that there's someone in your mm-hmm. own ha- in your half on their or sorry, yeah. someone in their own half who is playing alone up top, who can make a run mm-hmm. in behind it. You have every defender forward. Someone's got to recognize that. Someone one of the experienced players has to has to be screaming at their team to pick up that man and not let them hit you on the counterattack because it was a simple long ball over the top. United were all over the place. And then obviously there's a goal. And then the second goal too, it was kind of the defensive shape was all over the place. There's no, it it also doesn't feel like there's a a leader defensively. I mean, Harry Maguire was supposed to be that guy, but you know, we've seen that he's just for whatever reason, hasn't this year specifically hasn't been anywhere near the standard that he set in years prior. That's right. No, it it could be a number of things, but yeah, it's you're not absolutely the same. right. I mean, the only guy... I mean, look, I think Maguire's a very good player. He's definitely struggled this year. The only guy that I'm... I really like Juan Bissaka. Like, every time I watch him play, I just think he's awesome. He's an incredible defender, one-on-one defender, and he gets forward, and, you know, he could get... You know, add maybe a little more in product, but he's a really solid player. But, you know, everyone else in the back line, I'm not necessarily sold on. Now, I do think that they're... Okay, Lindelof is definitely the weak link. Overall, I think they're definitely okay, but they, they haven't shown it with their form this season. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's just a mystery. But, yes, I, I do agree that Harry Maguire has some question marks. You know, he, I like the way he reads the game. He has all the physical capabilities, and he's fine with the ball, but for whatever reason, he just hasn't, you know, been, been at it great this season. Yeah, and it's it's his form in general, and and this year, and kind of almost aside from form, he's had that one just catastrophic mistake in him that that's what you either yeah. always yeah. either leads to a goal or leads to a penalty or should have been a penalty in the Chelsea game. That to me is still like that. That was what two weeks ago, and I'm still kind of you know yeah. I still kind of have my doubts about it. But that's, you know, as, that's neither here nor there. I think yeah. the one thing to watch in that game is in the first half. Which I mean, I don't. I don't think either one of us are going to watch it live because it's at four thirty in the morning. But which Manchester United we're going to see in the first half? Are we going to see the side that lost two one in Europe, or are we going to see the team that murdered Leipzig, or the team that beat PSG convincingly? And we'll know in the yep. first forty five minutes, I guess. But it, the Premier League is—it's one of those things. It's like the NFL. It's like any given Sunday, any given match week. That any team can win, and that's not to say Everton are low on the table because you know they're they started the season really well, and as much as I hate them, as much as I think they should get yeah. relegated just for being Everton, they've had a good start to the season and they've been playing well for the whole on you know for the most part. They got lucky on a couple occasions, namely the Merseyside derby, but they're still a quality side and they're going to give anyone problems. You know it's and but you know what's amazing, and I just want to I, I want to touch on something. To your point, which you about you never we never know what you're gonna get. The and the point you mentioned about not having an identity, and that's something that's so apparent when watching them. And it's really weird, man, because when you watch a lot of the top teams around the world, you don't feel that. And I mean, 
if you just stick in the Premier League, for example, right, like all of the other top clubs, there is a defined style of play. And even if they struggle, you know, you can tell what they're trying to do. Manchester United, you can't really tell what they're trying to do. They don't really have a system of play. Um, I, I think it could be, like I said, you know, really good defensive structure. It seems on the counter similar to the way that they were in Mourinho's second season. But it's just really, really apparent. And it's amazing because, you know, when you watch these teams in that tier, everyone below, you know, like you look at Chelsea and you look at Arsenal right now um, and Spurs, they all have their particularly the first two, are on an upward trajectory, and you really see what they're trying to do. Their, their systems are there. But it's just Manchester United, I just don't like see a, a path forward, really. Like no. That. And, and Ole's talked about in the past, he's talked about, you know, we had a really good counterattacking game, like this is Man United. Yeah. And that may have been the identity in the past, but what's the identity now? Is it still that defensive solidity coupled with a devastating counterattack? Because... That element still can exist within the team, but you're not necessarily expecting that every week, if you get what I'm saying. You know, you're not, that doesn't become the expectation. That just becomes, oh, yeah, no, they do that well. But that's not yeah, like you have they're. To, you have to work on, you have to make that, you have to have a plan and stick to it and work to work with that on the training ground. Right. And so, play to your strength. Right. And so, last thing, last thing we'll say about this matchup it's not really about the matchup itself, it's more so the personnel. So, June 1st, mm-hmm. 2021. Is Ole still manager at Manchester United? No. I think we'll see Pochettino. Yeah, I, I agree. I think he's got, he's got this season to prove if he can win one trophy, then maybe mm-hmm. he'll get another six months. But yeah, for me, after he signed on as permanent manager, he's been on borrowed time. And you know, by all means, as a, as a Liverpool fan, I'd love to see him stay at the club for you know, 10, 15 years. That'd be fantastic. Just identityless Manchester United have to play against that Liverpool team that has a clear-cut identity, even if Klopp doesn't sign an extension, which I don't think he will. He has He's never been anywhere longer than seven years. Point well, being, there's there's an a identity crisis at Man United, among other things, yes, which sir. makes this game even more exciting. And that's not just because we both want to rag on United. It's just objectively, when you watch this team play, what do you, what do you focus on? Do you focus on what they do defensively because they haven't been great this year. Do you focus mm. on what they've been doing going forward? Because they can be exceptional, but they haven't been consistently. Yeah. And no, no, you're, you're absolutely right. And um, I mean, I, I just feel like we're, it could be wrong. I, I just truthfully, I feel like we're, it's just a matter of when, not if it, this, this to me, it feels a little bit like it felt with Mourinho where it was wobbly weak and it was inconsistent good and bad week to week, but you, you felt there was going to be an end point. And that, that's kind of what I feel like here. Yeah. And, man, Everton's a really good team, even though they you know, struggled against Newcastle. So we'll, we'll see what happens with that game. But even, even when you watch Everton, they have a, a pretty, they're a pretty nice team to watch right now too. Yeah. So they, they, they found a way to really you know, get the best out of the players they have. They tighten it up in the back. They allow you know, James Rodriguez to roam around the field. They got, they've added that power in the midfield, you know, Alon's the destroyer, you know, Decore has the power. So they, they, they have a structure in place there, you know? Yeah. And, and that's the difference. Ancelotti has won everywhere he's been and he's won 
big trophies too. It's not just like a community shield, which for some reason people still count as a trophy. It's not the EFL Cup, for example. No, he he wins leagues, he wins champions leagues, and he's just unfortunately been at clubs that haven't given him the same sort of leash. Like he was at Real Madrid. The year they fired him at Real Madrid was such a question mark because they won La Decima, and then the next year they didn't win La Liga, and he they fired him for some reason. Yeah, I mean. You're, you're yeah. talking about one of the most accomplished managers in the world. I mean, obviously, Real Madrid since then have done just crazy things, but that's also you know a product of having one of the greatest players of all time in Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah. So you, you give any manager Cristiano Ronaldo, they're going to win trophies. I'm sorry. It's, he's just, it's, it's Ronaldo, especially when he was at Madrid. He was in his prime. So prime Ronaldo is pretty unstoppable. So, yeah. But yeah, no. no ev- the, day, the day Everton signed Ancelotti... I was actually genuinely nervous that Everton were going to win a game at Anfield. And it could very well be this year because without Van Dyke going into the return fixture at Anfield, I, I don't, I don't feel great about Liverpool not conceding for sure. And, you know, say, say, you know, knock on wood, obviously as much as possible, but the injury bug has not been kind to Liverpool so far this year. So, there's there's no telling what that's going to be, but that's again that's credit to Everton for having a smart pitch for Ancelotti and giving him the ability to build something and build something that is going to, you know, remind Everton fans that they are indeed a Premier League team and not a Championship caliber club like yeah. some of the results may indicate. I will just say a quick point, which is that you know, it's amazing how when manage, when players enjoy the style of play and the manager just. In soccer specifically, like how much more you can really get out of a team, it's like really amazing, right? And I mean, you look at a lot of these, like you look at, uh, you know, an Everton or Manchester United where there's a lot of good players, but you can make them, in Everton, you can make them pretty good. Manchester United, a um, good manager can make them great. So like it's, it's amazing how much when players like the manager and they, they're good, that they, you can get so much individual improvement too. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and one of the things I'll say really quick before we move on, because we have two other matches this week that I want to talk about. Sure. One of the things that Klopp always stresses in the transfer market, and again, this is a Liverpool perspective. Every other club is different, but just coming from this one example, which mm-hmm. I think is still a pretty effective one, what Jurgen Klopp always talks about when transfers mm-hmm. are confirmed or he's asked about transfers in the media. Yeah. One of the things that always comes out of his mouth is what the player is like as a person. They didn't Mm. just go out and buy Virgil van Dyke because he was a good defender. They bought him because he's a leader, because he's a quality person who is going to get the best out of the other players around him. They went out and got Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. Same reason. They went out and got Diogo Jota, even recently as this season. Same exact reason. He's getting guys who are going to, they're going to buy into something. They're not going to have giant ego. Maybe the one exception to that is Salah, but he's definitely kind of developed an ego as opposed to came coming to the club with one. That was he definitely has yep. developed one since he's been at the club. But you know that's that's neither here nor there. But the, the point is, there's a lot of focus on what a player is like in the locker room and just as a person that doesn't get I think talked about enough when it comes to man management because you know we could talk about this all day. Man management is arguably the biggest part of. of being a coach at any level because getting the best out of a player is about making sure they're in a comfortable mindset and in a place where if they if they go out there they give 100 110 percent and it doesn't work out they're not gonna you know they're not gonna sweat they go 
I went out there. I was in a position to succeed. It just didn't happen today, but we're going to go. We're going to go again. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I, well, I will. Do, and I will just say with regards. So with regards to the Manchester United, it's really interesting because a lot of the reports say they like him personally. Like he's supposedly a really nice guy. They like playing for him, and they like the the um, atmosphere in the locker room, which is a, a really important thing. But it does seem like, you know, on the managerial side, he's just not good enough. So I don't want to. So in terms of you know, he does check some boxes, right? But not others. Like, you look at some of the, Klopp, great example, checks both boxes. Really nice guy. Players like him. But also, he can be tough. And he, he, he knows good strategy, and he can get the best out of the team. So you have to have both. You know, you absolutely have to have both. But, I mean, it's crazy, too. You know, yeah, it's absolutely right. You know, I, I look, and, you know, all these Manchester United players... You know, a lot of them didn't have good days in the Istanbul game, but you just wonder sometimes, like, where where is the leadership on the team? Right. You know, is it is it Nemanja Matic? Is is he the leader of the team? I, I don't know. Yeah, you know? I mean, I'd be really interested to see if at some point we can get either a sports psychologist or a former player at a somewhat high level who can kind of detail what it is like to play for different managers and different styles and what they think the most effective managers have been. Because I I would I would hypothesize that most of them would say the best managers they've had have focused less on the X's and O's and more on putting the player himself or herself in the best possible situation to win mentally, tactically, whatever. It's just motivating them as players to go out there and perform. Because ultimately, you can tell players to do X, Y, Z thing from a tactical perspective, but they have to actually want to do it. And yeah. if you have a manager who buys it, if you buy into what the manager is saying, you have a manager who has a clear plan and is able to get that across to his team, who is someone who's, you know, who's like an older brother, who's going to be a friend, but he's not going to be your best friend. He's going to make tough decisions sometimes, and that's just something that in in sports you have to deal with. Absolutely. But, and I, and I will just say my, my gut tells me that with, you know, Ali at Manchester United, he's just, his expectations aren't high enough, and he's not hard enough. I just think it's that, you have to demand a certain standard of your players, not be afraid to drop them. And also, um, their yeah, their their performance and just their style of play. I mean, a lot of these other managers, you know, Arteta, you know, um, Pep Guardiola, uh, Frank Lampard, they've made clear if you don't run, you're not gonna play. Doesn't matter who you are. Yep. So Yep. You know, and I, I know it sounds like a silly thing, but it's like you watch Paul Pogba, for example. It's like he's lazy sometimes. He's yep. just lazy. Yeah, like, yep. he really is. And I, 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 but you know, Pochettino came in there. You know, his conditioning at Spurs was one of the. I mean, those players, the way they, the way they pressed in his their good years, it was great. So, you know, if you gotta really exp- demand standards. Mm-hmm. Yep. Demand standards. Yeah. Again, management is a really interesting thing, and it'd be also interesting if we had a Manchester United fan on the podcast because this season specifically has been the byproduct of so much chatter in the offseason and so many moving parts, at least behind the scenes from a fan's perspective. So I'd be curious to see if if we can get a United fan on the show and and kind of break down what that is. 
Of course, we could be listening to this six months from now. They could be top of the table. We don't know. Premier League is it's that tight this year. It is always that competitive. Usually, last year was an outlier. I mean, the year before mm. the title race came down to the last game, and it was decided by a single point. Last year was a runaway, but I feel like this year we're going to have another really good title race because it just seems like there's no separation. I mean, I think at this point last year Liverpool were what six or six or nine points ahead already. I mean, already. I think it was only six, but it, the, you know, point being. There's a lot left, and reacting this way with 31, sometimes th- in some cases 32 games left to play, maybe not the smartest thing, but no, you know, it is what it is. Table's very tight. It's yeah. very early. A lot of chance. But I will say, well, we can talk about them, but I mean, Liverpool looked really strong in the last few games. So. Yeah, and it, we'll talk about that game because they, they do have one of the bigger games in the schedule this, this weekend. I do want to talk about Leicester and Wolves. So these are two of the teams that are definitely outside looking in as far as top six, top or not necessarily top six, but top four, certainly. And they're in and around the top six, at least the last couple mm-hmm. of years that's been the case. Mm-hmm. That's a really interesting one because Leicester have had to deal with a ton of injuries, namely in the in their spine with uh, Soyuncu and Ndidi being out for extended periods of time. Yep. But mm-hmm. here they are after seven games, second in the table by a point. And oh. Yeah. It seems like they have the the players, the quality, and the management in Brendan Rodgers, who's shown mm-hmm. he can succeed if you give him the right squad. You know, Liverpool's another story. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> but he's shown he's a very good manager, and he can get a lot out of these clubs, and they've done a really good job recruiting a good squad. And, you know, would you call them title challengers? Maybe not explicitly, but certainly a team to keep an eye on this year. Um, yeah, I, you know what, I do think they are title challengers, and, you know, the big thing I noticed for them at the end of the last season was they got really kind of stale offensively. I think that's one thing, you know, Brendan Rodgers has established this offensive style and play. I think a year of experience will help a lot, and like you said, even with the experience to their, you know, incredible midfielder and a great defender, um, they have lots of talents, and, uh, they have lots of of weapons right now, particularly offensively, that are scoring goals, and so that'll give them a little margin for. I, I I absolutely think that they're they're title contenders, and I think a second year is no doubt going to help them. Yeah, I mean, I think if you take them at face value, which you know a lot of folks obviously do, um, I think the the big thing with Leicester is is right now going to be. Mm-hmm. You know, for for us, it's keeping in mind what happened at the back end of last season because they really faded. They went all the way from what was it like second to fifth in yep. in the span of a few weeks. They, I mean, they had a, a really well, really harsh yeah. decline. Yeah, it was hard. I mean, they they were in fourth for a while. Yeah, but then lost. But, I mean, they were they were number two for the entirety of the season, and it felt like after the Liverpool game on Boxing Day, everything just went downhill. And mm-hmm. whether that's down to squad not being deep enough, whether it's down to inexperience whether it's down to you know table watching too much and not Mm. concerning yourself with just getting three points on a certain week that's you know something that we'll have to keep it you have to look at but it looks like they're they're the same team or a very similar team to the one that we saw last year but and you know what's amazing is just like one thing about Leicester is they're a very good club very well run and seems like they have very good recruitment and player development I mean, they they are able to constantly replace these guys, like have replacements. When players leave, 
um, or they just they they're able to replace them, or they're able to just fill in the gaps to their squad. And they have you know a few new guys this year that that are looked good. And overall, you know they still have a very Yes, of course they're not going to be as deep as the super clubs, but you know they're a very well balanced and, and deep team, and and you're right. And if they can just get, you know, maybe consistent goal scoring outside of you know Jamie Vardy from you know Harvey Barnes or something, then yeah, I mean, they're they've got a real chance. Yeah, I mean, you look they've at Barnes, Harvey, Madison, Tielemans, Pratt, uh, Pratt, Ricardo. Attacking yep. wise, I mean the, the loss of Ben Chilwell is pretty huge, but you know they've also got insane quality on the right flank at right fullback, and yep. that you know I, I think the one thing that would hesitate me, from me putting them in the in the real title conversation is just you know it's recency bias, it's what happened last year, but you can't really overlook that because it's by and large the same squad. I mean you haven't really had any major additions, and. You know, well, I think Thomas is, is. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Yeah, um, but just just on right. the whole. Sure. No, but you're right. But I, but I, I but I will say. I mean, just like, I know it's a simple point, but um, no, you're right. Look, like James Madison got hurt. He's obviously last year. He was an elite talent. Uh, Ianacho looks pretty good sometimes. I mean, they they have a, a lot of talent on that team. Yeah, absolutely. No, Honestly, Owen, right now, who's it's gonna, not talent. Honestly, right now, I'll put my money on it. Leicester finishes higher than Man United this season. Ooh. Now, that's a big I will, say this. I will say this. If Pochettino becomes manager before, like, January, then maybe I reserve the right to change my prediction. But if, like, Ollie's around for another few months, yeah, I think Leicester will finish above them in the table. Yeah. And of course, this is, you know, this is obviously us looking at the moment right now. And of course, you know, I would I, I would have no issue with you saying, OK, yeah, they changed manager. They changed to a manager who turned around Tottenham. So what's yeah. to say you can't do the same thing at United with a club with arguably more significant resources financially and just talent wise? So, it, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a tough question. But on the other side of this matchup is a team that... Mm. I've really enjoyed watching the last few years. I'm not going to lie. Every time I see a Wolves game, I'm just like, I, I like this. I like, and not just because they beat City twice last year, but just because they, they are an exciting outfit every single time you watch them play. Yeah. I mean, talk about a team with, with a set identity and a stubbornness about that identity almost. Yeah, I, absolutely. Look, I think that, you know, the only thing to me that can really hurt Wolves is if they lose a, the couple star players they have. If if they lost like Raul Jimenez, for example, mm -hmm. that could be like devastating. Yeah. But like overall, they have a structure in place. They you know they, they have a great manager. They have a great a, very a system. They play every single time that works. They've replaced. They've they've added a couple players. I mean, they just look. They look, they're very, very enjoyable to watch. Yeah. Um, and, and like you said, I, yeah, they are um, they're right there, man. They're right there. And I was just thinking about this. The question with Wolves all of a sudden mm -hmm. becomes, is this the year they have to finish top four to keep guys like Jimenez and Traore around? That's a good question, really. Because, I mean, that, that's a million-dollar question. Because Traore is 
he goes viral pretty much every time he plays mm-hmm. just with his sheer pace and size and mm-hmm. Jimenez it seems like he scores if not every week then every other week which is still mm-hmm. an incredible haul for a striker and for one yep. on a team that you know their aspirations are right now just Europe in general because mm-hmm. they've, they've played in Europe but beyond that it has to be Champions League so is this kind of a year where they have to you know it's like they have to finish top four or else they're going to lose some of that core and you know maybe drop down the table a few a few points or you know can they sure. convince guys like Jimenez and Triori to stay, stick around for another few years I would say that Rel I mean both players have been linked with big clubs Rel Jimenez I think is the easier sell I mean Triori I mean he can probably have his pick of just about any club in the world yeah so I would say yes that would absolutely help um that would absolutely help that being said you know all the reports you read are that they they really like playing for Wolves. They they like Nuno. So, I mean, but yes, I would bet on it. I would bet on it that they have to finish top four. Yeah. Yes. Nuno is going to be a top three manager in the world in the next five years. I mean, I think I, I had I'm this take. Already. I'm not surprised he's not already. Honestly. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I had him. I think I had this take, what, like a year, maybe a year, a year or two ago. But it just, like, I just feel like he always impresses me with, with, either the tactical decision or what, you know, how he carries himself and how he is able to get a lot out of his players. And yes, there's a certain Portuguese connection because he's bought, I don't know how many Portuguese players since he's been at the club, but it's worked and it's working. And that's, you know, maybe, maybe that's good. Maybe that's bad. I don't know. He just seems like a, a like a good guy to play for based on the last couple of years. And yes, it's, it's a smallish sample size, but I think, hmm. you know, I truly believe he's going to be in the conference. He's going to be, you know, the, the next, quote-unquote, next generation's Klopp or Guardiola or you know, wow. the next big manager. Well, that is interesting. Um, I'm not... Wow. Yeah, that's a really bold um, prediction. Um, you know, I don't know if I rate him that highly, but, yeah, I mean, he's he's a great manager, and, and um, I, I don't know. I guess, like, the only thing that I would say is, like, you know, I, I'm curious if his style of play, he could make a team like great. You know, he does he he doesn't you know have the ball dominance of a Guardiola or the pressing of a, a Klopp. But yeah, I have no doubt he could do great great things at a, at a good club. Yeah, I you mean know? it's it's all you know looking into the future, the crystal ball that we all wish we had when it came to when it came to our favorite team. But that's just not reality. But what what I can say confidently is I do like his chances at becoming a top manager in the world. Whether or not he's at that upper echelon, I think is a it's a bit of a stretch. It's a it's a take, but I st- I still stay you know I keep that take, uh, keep it nice and warm and whatnot. But yeah, Wolves have been exciting. Leicester against and, Wolves on Sunday yeah, definitely one to watch. I will I will mention too that um you know one good thing to watch is I remember last year they got off to a really slow start mm-hmm. and they got. Right back in, I mean, they were in the top four conversation for a while. You know, this year they've gotten off to a fine start. So, hey, the way they usually close seasons and, and stuff it could be a good sign. Yeah, who knows? I mean, they won't have the Europa League like they had last year. Yeah, that's a big... You know, Thank they, you. they know how to deal with fixture congestion. And I think they've, even though they lost Diogo Jota, which is turning into be one of the biggest transfers for Liverpool in recent memory, uh, at least <laughs> in, the, in the early going. But... Yeah, how crazy is that? I mean, man, Klopp and uh, 
recruiting department. Yeah. I mean, they just know everything. It's, right. It's, I mean, that's it's, that's also a really good segue into the big okay. game of the weekend, which is mm-hmm. one and two City Liverpool. I mean, City so, not currently two, but you know, traditionally the last few years it's been one and two Liverpool City. Yeah. Um, it's going to be really fascinating. Well, let me ask you just real quick to follow up on your point. So, watching Jota and, you know, watching the, the Champions League game, and I was just so impressed, not just from his goals, but the way he, like, he, he, he was so, like, dynamic, and he really brings an element Firmino doesn't in terms of his pace, his dribbling, and his runs in behind. Like, he... His movement's really good. He's he's running off the back shoulder, making runs in behind, and also dropping into the hole like Firmino does. And so my question is, do you think he could be in line to start? I I don't think that Firmino is going to lose his spot. But I, I honestly think that there is a conversation that could be had. Yeah. No, I, I think based on what Klopp has done so far this year, which is ride the hot hand, he's going to keep riding the hot hand. But he's not going to leave out a guy like Firmino in this game. He's for me. I think it'll be a four-two-three-one with sure. uh, Firmino up top, Jota uh, mm. right behind as the number ten, and then oh. Salah on the right, Mane on the left. Or it could be the opposite where he yeah, has Jota up top, Firmino in the number yeah. ten, and then that's what I think works better. Is yeah. when the Hell, he can even put Salah up top and put Firmino in the number nine, and then have Jota out wide. Because one of the things that has made him so invaluable so far this year is that he can play literally anywhere around the front three and as a number 10. Yeah, he's, he's playing the wing too. Anywhere, yeah. anywhere in the attacking third. You, you just yep. throw him on there, let him, let him do his thing. And that's yep. a really invaluable skill in a player. I mean, Pep Linders and, and Klopp are both saying that his, his tactical acuity and his positioning and his pressing is already at the same level of Salah, Firmino, and Mane, who have been in this system for a few years. And that's really high praise because it means that he doesn't have he doesn't need to acclimate like a lot of players do when they join Liverpool. It means yep. on you go, make a difference. And he's made a difference pretty much every time he stepped in the field. And yeah. for, for 40 million pounds, it was that I think Liverpool were quoted somewhere in the fifties for Sar, for Ismail Sar from, from Watford, yeah. who wasn't the end product that Jota is. I mean, he's still a little rough around the edges in some ways, but on the whole like it's turning into one of the more prudent acquisitions Liverpool have made, at least so far, there's been a bigger return on the investment so far. Now, obviously it's only been seven games in the league, what 10 games overall. I mean, my take was that, you know, I mean, look, I think Ismail Sarr is tremendously talented. I think Jota fits better with the team. Um, Oh, and yeah, yeah. He's incredible. Um, I do think that there are there are there are things that make Firmino too invaluable to not start week to week all the time. Um, I just think his, but you know, I just think his his hold up play, the way he links the front three, and the way what he does for the press defensively is too invaluable. But um, but yeah, man. I mean, Jota Jota is incredible, and he has the ability to do similar things. And he's also a very hard worker. He's very fast, and so you know he's fitting right into the press defensively. And so, yeah. And I think I just want to say too, 
I think one thing I've noticed with Liverpool this season, and maybe you maybe agree or disagree, I don't know, but I think Klopp, Klopp, particularly with their defensive injuries and and stuff, I think he believes that Liverpool, maybe to cover that up, they need to be a little bit more on the front foot. And what I've noticed in some of these games, and even in the Leipzig game, for example, I mean, they just dominated them. And, and lots, lots of, I like watching the Serie A. They're a really good team. And it is not, like, they were on the front foot. They dominated possession, particularly in the first half. They, you know, their press is always good. Like, you know, your, your defense isn't as much of an issue if they can't get the ball or get good chances. So, I mean, yeah. Right. That I can mean, be right, and I think we talked about this last week. We talked about last year's game, Sheffield against Liverpool, where Liverpool yep. just passed Sheffield to death all game yep. they, they completed like 900 something passes or they set the record for most completed passes in a game and it, they didn't even need to worry about you know conceding chances and, and whatnot because they just had the ball the entire game it, yeah like it, it was one of those things where you know we talked about what the loss of van dyke is going to be for this team and yeah. they won't be at the same level defensively but they can mask it in other ways like you're saying they can be more offensive and specifically with that atalanta game i i was expecting i was not expecting to keep a clean sheet I was not expecting to score five. I mean, Atalanta's going to, they're going to concede some goals, but they're also going to score a lot. And they have been scoring a lot and will continue to score a lot of goals. But they, this was just one of those games that everything went against them in the luck department. And sometimes that's just, it just happens. It's just like Zapata hit the post late in the game. I think he hit the inside of the post in the top right corner and it came out somehow. I mean that's that's usually one you see off the post and in rather than come out, which I don't I don't know why, but physics just said that's mm-hmm. what you're gonna do. And so it's it's one of those things where I don't think the scoreline is really fair for mm. Atalanta because they're a team that likes to they like to attack and send men forward, and Liverpool, as we know, are incredible on the counterattack, and you know five five chances can be five goals, and those are the only chances you can have in a game, but they can all lead to goals. That's just how effective Liverpool usually are on the counterattack. So I, I'd you know, give them more credit than the scoreline would indicate. I don't know, man. I mean, I, I understand your point. Um, you know, they had a few chances, and yes, Liverpool took the chance on the counterattack, but, I mean, they were really dominating, if you ask me. I mean, that was, would you fair, I mean, best performance of the season. I mean, yeah. that was, they just looked great. Top I mean, to bottom. All, I, think, I think the Everton game was up well. there. They played very, very well. They yeah, I thought the Everton game was up there, yeah, as well, but this, I think, was more a little more complete. Me too. And just the fact that it was a European away game as opposed to a game just right across Stanley Park. So, you know, what do, what do you th- make it that what you will. What do you think of, of of some of the new players that have been getting, some of the younger players that have been getting playing time? Like, I think Reese Williams played in that game. Nat Phillips got an appearance, I think. Was that Sheffield? Um, uh, Curtis Jones got some some time Yeah. Uh, well. Uh, Nat, Nat Phillips was... Last week was Sheffield, I think. I think I think he played against them. Or who did Liverpool play? Yeah, I. Hmm. Why am I Why am I dropping all this? This is why we have the internet, kids. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Nat Will Nat Phillips and Reese Williams. Those are the two the two young guys for Liverpool at the back who have been, for me, exceptional. And there's Billy Cumetio as well. Billy the kid, they call him, who <laughs> apparently is also exceptional. Uh, he hasn't really got the senior appearances of the other two, and he hasn't had the notoriety of the other two. But if he's a player that Klopp rates now, then 
he's going to be a name you're going to want to keep an eye on because Klopp, mm-hmm. Klopp has an eye for, for players that are good young players that will develop. And, mm-hmm. you know, his track record just kind of speaks, it, it speaks to that, honestly. But let's start with, with Nat Phillips. Okay. Nat Phillips, to me, is a bit of a cult. He's going to be a bit of a cult hero at Liverpool if he's going to partner with Matip or Gomez, whoever it is, and keep like three, four, five clean sheets in a row up into like into December. Because last okay. year, and you know, I don't know how, how carefully you watch this, but last year in the EFL Cup, I think it was, or even the FA Cup, uh, Liverpool had a very short turnaround in between games. One of those games was against Everton. The next game was, I think, another... It was either a Champions League game or a big, a big league game. So what Klopp did was he recalled Nat Phillips from his loan in Germany, started yep. him yep. against Everton, and then immediately sent him back out on loan. So he literally brought Nat Phillips back just to knock out Everton and then send him back on loan again. So he's already a bit of a cult hero at Liverpool, just like his sole existence, his sole purpose for the club is to knock out Everton <laughs> and like, you know, Liverpool fans and Everton fans hate each other. And that's, that's just one of the things you kind of have to laugh at. I'm um, trying to figure yeah, out when this game was. Weird. Yeah, it was, it was January 5th in the FA cup last year where Curtis right. Jones scored that's the winner. So funny. Yeah, no, I remember, I actually remember watching that game. Mm-hmm. I remember watching that game. Um, that's so funny, man. That's so funny. So, I mean, what do you think of them? I mean, do you think, um, also what about Seth Vandenberg? He, I know, like he's like another young center back, right? Yeah, I think Sepp is a little further back in his development than the other two, than the other he's three. Young, he's really young, but I know Virgil Van Dyke speaks highly of him. You know, he's, yeah, I mean, he's, he's he. I think they've called him not like a mini Van Dyke, but like he's got some of those attributes. I think the one thing is just more adapting to the English game more more quickly because he's he's played a little bit in the last two preseasons and he hasn't really made a the significant impact that I think Klopp was hoping for. You know, that said, he he was not a player who's expected to make an impact at all in the next couple of years, maybe in like a, maybe in like two or three years, he'll be okay. a regular in the starting 11. But for right now, he's not expected really to, to do much. He's, I think he's only 19. I think he's 17 when they bought him uh, two years ago, but okay. you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's on one hand frustrating because you see the injuries to Van Dyke and the injuries to Fabinho and obviously Klopp can't talk about this, but the emphasis on, you know, are you going to go out in, in January and buy someone? And, and you know, the English media will <laughs> yeah. they'll gossip and they'll talk about who Liverpool are going to mm-hmm. target, who are they going to get to back up Van Dyke. Yeah. But ultimately, I think Klopp is not one who's immediately going to say transfer market, 50 million pounds, that defender, like other other managers in, in England and the so, world. Well, let me get your take on this one as a follow-up. So here's my question. I know it's really harsh, man, because... We gotta remember that these are young people. Yeah. But I, I actually want to talk. About, I think one really interesting storyline that's flying under the radar is Joe Gomez, because Joe Gomez struggled. Yep. Uh, he's he's inconsistent. Yep. And my question is, I mean, he is a very talented player, and fairly, you know, has very high expectations, but. I'm not sold on Joe Gomez. No. Like you, you've talked about his, I guess, defensive awareness or commitment. He mm-hmm. definitely has all the physical tools, but yeah. um, but I, I just wonder if there's a, you know, a point where Klopp either says, well, we have to see what we have in him. So you know, if Ma- even if Matip was back, 
Gomez, you're going to start every week? Or if he says, you know, I don't know. I'm just, I, I don't think we can compete if he was the starting center back. So maybe we do have to buy someone. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm kind of watching that storyline because he's one of the more inconsistent figures for the team. Yeah. So I've talked about this a little bit in the group chat with a couple of my college friends who are Liverpool fans as well. One of the things I'll say about Gomez, and I'll probably keep saying this as we get into the festive period especially, but right now, I think after the City game, because he's going to start he's going to start at City, almost no question, because Matip hasn't featured yeah. in forever. Uh, and, you know, he just doesn't have that match fitness that, that Gomez does. Gomez will start on Sunday. But after that, if I'm Klopp, what I think the best thing to do is to literally just sit him down for like two games because he looks mentally fatigued. He looks kind of exhausted, not physically. I mean, physically, he's still he's still a solid player. But for whatever reason, he's just I don't know if it's laziness or I don't know if it's just he's, you know, a little too arrogant in some decision making. But sometimes when I watch him play, he he doesn't understand that space can't score goals and the man can score goals and you have to pick up the man first. And mm-hmm. to me, he's just, there's just an element of his game that without Van Dyke is kind of getting exposed. And I think it might be a little bit of his positional awareness because yeah, yeah. he has, he has the pace and the physical ability to recover from a lot of positions. But the fact that he's in those positions in the first place does not really make you feel good. If you're looking And I player. just want to say too, and I mean, by no means was I a great player or anything. But I do think one of the things that I at least know from playing center back a lot, and one of the most um, important skills that all the center backs have, and I really question Gomez because of it. Because to be honest with you, when I evaluate center backs, it is the number one thing I look for is the ability to read the game. The ability to just like, you know, certain individual mistakes, they can be cut out. But the ability to read the game, to understand where you need to be, to anticipate passes, to anticipate, um, you know, just where you have to be on the field with regard to where the team is. And that um, also just and that ability to, to do it, to do to constantly just be in the right place, understand where the pass is going, where the runs are going. I don't see that with Gomez. Most good center backs have that, you know, even like I'm not super high on Kurt Zuma, but Kurt's. Uh, well, I'll say this. I am a lot higher, actually, on Kurt Zuma than a lot of people because he has that ability to read the game. He just makes some careless mistakes and sometimes out of position. But with him, you can tell he anticipates passes a lot more, a lot better. And um, I just don't see that with Joe Gomez. And that's like, and I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I just wonder, you know, if I'm. If I'm right, then that's not a good thing. Yeah, I mean, Gomez at his best is an exceptional center back, but he's Mm. not at his best as much as the team needs him to be. And that's when I think having Van Dyke as his center back partner kind of masks it up because you know what you're going to get from Van Dyke. Van Dyke is going to give you the easily 7 out of 10, 7 8 out of 10 performance every single week. Sometimes he'll be 10. Sometimes he'll rarely be like a 6.5. But for the most part, you're going to get that. Gomez can be either like a like an eight or a nine or like a three or a four on any given day. And that's just the sort of inconsistency, especially when you don't have Van Dyke and Fabinho's gonna be out for a while. It's kind of 
like it's it's nerve wracking a little bit, and that's why I do like the fact that both Reese Williams and Nat Phillips have played in the last week or so, because they're both quality players and they're both already making impacts. They're both you know physically up to the challenge of replacing a literal gargantuan in Van Dyke. But you know there is of course that experience that Liverpool are going to miss, and Gomez does have experience, but. He's also not as much of a authoritative, assertive leader that Van Dyke is. So, and I want to be clear too, like you I'm know, not you're up, he, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I guess my question is, and I maybe I should rephrase it. It's not like I don't know if he he definitely can read the game, but the the question is, you're you're absolutely right. Just like you know, is the the really big question is, is it? you need other guys to bring the best out of them at this moment in the career, or is there more something structurally with his style of play that he needs to improve on? That, that's the big question. Cause you're right. It could be just, it could just be as simple as having Virgil van Dyke there and, and just leadership. He's a young player brings out the best in him and naturally young players are going to be more inconsistent, but, or is it just, that's a weak part of his game? I'm not sure, but yeah. it's just, I, I bring this up because for example, you know, even when you watch Harry Maguire, I mean, Harry Maguire struggled, but he can read the game. I mean, he knows how. To, that's just my take. No, and yeah. I, I, I don't disagree at all. I think the one thing that I would say with Gomez, and I do want to move on to City a little bit because I do want to mention some of the, uh, some of the difficulties yeah. with City so far this year. With Gomez, it's one of those things where I think he's still a very young player. I think he's younger than both of us still. So yeah, yeah. he's got time to learn and develop and, and positional awareness and kind of understanding within a certain system where you're supposed to be and how to anticipate where passes are going to be because of the holes in your system. Mm -hmm. I think he'll develop that over time, but right now it's like, I think we're a little further in his career for him to not have developed that yet. There's still time. He's still in that very early part of his career. So he still can get better in that sense. That said, you know, he is a young player. You do have to cut him a little bit of slack and he was kind of thrown into the first team really early. I mean, he was bought, at I think 18 in 2015 and he was thrown he was thrown to the squad the first game of the season the starting 11 first game of the season uh, yep. and you know obviously different manager different time different players but the idea is that you have to give him a little more slack than most defenders at this stage of their career that you would typically criticize and I yeah. you know I want to give him the benefit of the doubt but for me what I'm seeing right now as as a fan watching him play in the last I don't know, three weeks or so. It's been a little bit of fatigue mentally. He just seems like he, he switches off too much. And yeah. that can be the number of games he's played for both Liverpool and England. Yeah, and, yep. you know, two games on the sideline could be perfect. It motivates you to play better. It gives you a mental rest. You don't have to have that grind of <laughs> always being on alert for 90 minutes, 95 minutes, 100 minutes a game. So Although I just there's a lot, say, of, a lot of layers to it. I just want to say real quick, though, which is that, you know, I mean, I know it's a small point. And absolutely, your read could not be right, and rest could definitely help him um, recover mentally and physically. But I will say, just in the long run, I mean, defenders, starting defenders, pretty much play every game. Um, Maybe in the League Cup games, they'll rest, but unlike other positions. And so that's one thing, you know, he's going to have to do in the future. Yeah, it's, you know, how, how it goes, we'll see. It's just one of those things that, Right now, what we're looking at is still a very uh, unpolished article. 
mm-hmm. whether or not he develops into the player that I think we all believe he can be, given what we've seen of his potential. I think that's another thing entirely. Absolutely. Yeah. I do want to get to the other side of the coin because we talked about Liverpool extensively. We talk about Liverpool a lot in the show and I'm not going to apologize for that. But Man City, Mm. they've, I mean, they've been good for the most part, but like there's something, there's something off with them because yes, West Ham are a good side and Moyes is doing a terrific job, but that's not a game that City should be drawing. They should not be dropping points away at West Ham. They should be winning that game. And yeah, it could be one of those things where it's like Liverpool a few years ago where they beat every big six club at home and they at least got a point on the road, except for like maybe one instance. But, you know, that's ultimately not going to win you a title. And I think the expectation with City, especially with the amount of money they were spending and continuing to spend even in the middle of a pandemic, that has to be the expectation. Like, yeah. yes, I'm sure the board and the club and even Pep himself are focusing more on the Champions League. And like that's the one that they want, but you still have to be you still have to compete for the league and be real a really solid side. And they are, and it's early, and I don't want to overreact, but something's something's a little off this year so far. Yeah, um, I was. I'll tell you what, though, I'm a lot less concerned than after their first couple games. You know, they started off and like overall, like you said, they played pretty well recently. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, y- you you wonder if they have the I think it's just a, a mental thing, honestly. You know, you wonder if they have the drive to, you know, carry forward on a week-to-week basis. And you're absolutely right, Owen. It doesn't feel like it's a, um, a, a thing where now that they, you know, have Ruben Diaz, they, you know, they, they've corrected their, their defensively and, you know, they, they bought, you know, Ferran Torres. Like, yeah, it absolutely just feels like a, a team thing. You know, it, 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 yeah, it just feels like they're not quite, they're not quite right. And they've had some, look, they've had some very good performances, particularly in the Champions League, but yep. you're absolutely right. In the, in the Premier League, their domestic form has been, I mean, even like, for example, I know this is a little talk, but when I watched that uh, Leeds United game, mm-hmm. when they played them, and it was like, Leeds United in the second half, like, took it to them. And like, yeah. you never see that. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, yeah, I, you know, right. I, I agree. I mean, on that leads, but I think it, that's also leads this year. They they kind of yeah, taken it to everybody they played so far, and they're gonna they're gonna play that way because Bielsa is Bielsa. But ultimately, you know, I think there is a certain vulnerability about them that other teams are kind of sensing, and it's not like they're gonna finish like seventh or eighth this year. They're still gonna be in the top four. They're still gonna challenge for the title, but it does feel like something is a little wonky. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you know. The form table doesn't really support that. The last five games, they've won four, drawn one. And even beyond that, I mean, they had the, the early hiccups in the season, the 5-2 against uh, Leicester, the 1-1 against Leeds, um, and then the 1-1 at West Ham. That's been pretty much everything so far this year. But, you know, is is there a significant cause for concern at City? No, just because the standard that Guardiola and the team have set have, over the last three years has been so stupidly high. That mm. it, it's like, it's like asking LeBron to average 30, 30, 12 and 10. It's yeah. like, it's, it's super unrealistic to expect that. But you know what he's averaging? I mean, what did he average this season? Like 20, 25, nine and seven or something like that. You know, yeah, well, yeah. and that's not, that's not seen as a, a really good season for other players. That's a career season. 
for him, that's just, it's not great because he's, because he gets done better and we've seen him do better because he's raised a standard. We talked about this last week with Clayton Kershaw too. We talked about this idea of players moving the goalposts based on their own performances and having a new set of standards for themselves that they are measured up to, but everyone else isn't measured to that standard. They're measured to their own standards. So it, it gets harder to compare. But basically what I'm getting at is City are going to, you know, I had them winning the title. I still think they are probably going to win the title just because their squad depth and they haven't, you know, knock on wood, obviously, but they haven't been hit by the injury bug. And you never hope that on a team, but Liverpool have just not been lucky so far this year. And it's a long season. Who knows? But for right now, there's zero cause for concern, even with those two early season hiccups. Yeah. And I think but we only I... bring that up because they're 10th in the table right now anyway. Oh no, you're you're right. Um, they've had a couple. They've dropped some points, um, and they've had a loss. But but yeah, no, I, I I also think that. I mean, it it just feels like they look. They absolutely have enough talent. I mean, she's like you know, Sterling obviously has turned into world class player. Mars is playing well. Phil Foden's looked really good, but. Um, but yeah, I absolutely agree with you, Owen, that I, I don't know. I, I, I just I don't feel like they have the mental fortitude to consistently week in, week out. They want they probably just want the Champions League so bad. It's hard to on a week to, on a weekly basis do so well week after week. Yeah. It really is. And it's gonna be it's gonna be a testament to Guardiola's management because in yeah. I believe it was 2015-16. It was his last season at Bayern. I think that it was 15-16. His last season at Bayern Munich, he had arguably the the best squad he had at that team. The team was playing outrageous football at times. And yes, it's the Bundesliga. They ran away with it. But what I'm getting at is more so, they were so good in the league that year. And you know this is obviously the Bundesliga. I don't want to read too much into it. But in the Champions League, they had the same sort of problems that Guardiola has had every year since he left Barcelona. Incredibly good squad, but whether it's the quarterfinals or the semifinals, for whatever reason, Guardiola will set up his team differently or he'll have a different set of instructions or he just can't motivate them for a Champions League game, which if you're going to be the best manager in the world or one of the best ones, that's the game that everyone wants to get hyped up for. It's, it's the biggest competition in football. And if you can't get a team hyped up for that, if you can't get a team motivated, you can't set them up for the most yeah. success possible, then you kind of have to look at it a little bit. But that said, you know, that was an outrageously good season for Bayern domestically. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I think, yeah, and I, I think that's, what I will say is this. I do... It's, you're right, it's actually been a mix of some of his tactical blunders and also, like you said, structural issues with the team where, you know, even with his Bayern Munich team, they've struggled defensively in the Champions League. But I do like what I'm seeing from them this year. It does seem like they've, they have a little bit of a, obviously they just, they don't have ideas. They seem like they have a little bit of a, a better structure. Um, obviously now, you know, that Fernandinho can play in there too helps. Um, with Rodri too, and they, they, they have a little bit more uh, commitment there. Um, so I think, and I think that's important because I just want to remember. I mean, you know, last last season when they lost to Lyon, that was just some bad defending. You know, what I mean, there's mm-hmm. nothing a manager can 
look, you can talk about like they played a back three in the game or ever, but like, like that was. There's nothing a manager can do about that. Mm-hmm. So you know, I I I like their chances in the Champions League this year. I, yeah. I will say. And just just to wrap up on that point with uh, with City or with with Pep at Bayern and the kind of squad he had, and see if there's any comparisons with this year. So this is mm. what the fourth season of Guardiola at City. Mm. Uh, let's mm. see, third, third or fourth, mm. fifth. Is this fifth season in charge of City? I think I think so. I could be wrong. Uh, let's see, 15, 16, 16, So two thousand sixteen to present. So it's fourth year. It was fourth full year. Okay. At that last year at Bayern Munich, which was his third year, I believe. These were these were the numbers. I just I did a quick quick search for this because I was really curious as to what what the tape what the stats say to to back on my point. Uh, thirty four games. Obviously, they don't play thirty eight in the Bundesliga. Thirty four games, twenty eight wins, four draws, and two losses. Eighty goals for, seventeen against, with a sixty three goal differential. I mean, they only won the league by ten points at the at, at the end of the day. But I think that's yeah. because Dortmund went on a bit of a run that year. <laughs> yeah. So ultimately, what I think, what I think the case is with City is, are they going to be good domestically in the league? Yes, of course they're going to be top four for sure. I still think they'll win the league, but mm. with the Champions League, you know they could play really well in the round. They could get to the knockout, play really well in the round of sixteen, play really well in the quarterfinals, but get paired up against like a Real Madrid, a Bayern Munich, a team that can absolutely demolish teams like city that play on the, that like to have the ball. If you play possession in mm. Europe in a club, co- in a cup competition, I would argue more likely than not, you're at a tactical disadvantage. Yeah. And you, yeah. And, you, and you're, it, it's, it's just tough to come back from that and to break that down. And it's amazing because I remember Pep Guardiola's last year at, at um, Bayern Munich, they were incredible. I mean, like, look, I'll tell you what. Last year, they won the treble. I would love to see that Guardiola team play this that team because they looked incredible. But you're right. Like, you think about Barcelona and, and Real Madrid um, and Atletico Madrid, the teams they lost to in the Champions League. You're right. You are at, and, you know, you are absolutely at a tactical disadvantage because there are teams that can absolutely hurt you on the counterattack. Um, yeah, it, but then again, I mean, look, you can't put it all. I mean, I remember even um, when they lost to uh, Tottenham a couple years ago, um, people were scratching their heads because he played very defensive in the first leg against Tottenham, but they actually lost the game. So, it, you know, it, you never know. You just can't always pin it on the manager. But you're right. Yeah. If you play that way structurally, you're at a disadvantage. Yeah, and sometimes sometimes it's just the players too. And, yep. you know, mm-hmm. you, we can talk – for literally hours like we did earlier, like we were getting at earlier about management itself and like man management more so than the tactics. But yeah. ultimately, at the end of the day, games are not won or lost by managers. Players are the ones who do it. And you can't fire players like you can fire managers. So yep. that's, uh, I guess, the last thing on that. But circling back, the big game of the weekend, uh, Liverpool mm. at Manchester City. It should be a really good game. Mm. Um, and the last five, I was looking this up as well just to have a little bit more of a a mm. solid viewpoint mm. with this game particularly the last five have been going back to october 2018 uh, a goal is draw at anfield 2-1 city over liverpool that was the goal line clearance by john stones 2-1 uh, the next game 1-1 in the community shield which kind of take that with a grain of salt 
3-1 last year at Anfield, and then 4-0 when it was the first game after Liverpool won the league. League was gone, 4-0 from City. That one is kind of not a throwaway because Liverpool were not great and City were solid. But ultimately, you know, it's been so evenly matched over the last few years. But here's the one difference so far with with City (laughs) and Liverpool. They have almost identical goal differentials, but Liverpool have scored eight more goals. They've also conceded seven more. So it's kind of a twisted, right? Yeah. So they're going to be goals in this game because Liverpool are going to concede, and I'm sure City, I'm sure Liverpool are going to score. But so far, this looks like it'll be probably the most even I think we've seen these from these teams since, um, I'd say, since the game where Liverpool stopped the title run or stopped the invincible run in uh, January 2018. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Sure. I mean, yeah. this, this this game. Yeah, I think we're going to learn a lot about about both teams in this game. I mean, you think about last year's first game, like when they thrashed. I mean, look, it was three to one, but they thrashed them really. I mean, they came out and walloped them. Yeah. Um, you're right. And last year, that set the tone. You're like, okay, Man City's probably not up for it. Liverpool is. I think this year could be a similar story. You're absolutely right. I think we'll see if the result is pretty if one team plays a lot better i think that's going to tell us a lot Mm -hmm. truthfully about the the season yeah and the one thing of course we'll keep in mind is this is only match week eight so a lot Mm. of games left but i still have questions about both teams truthfully yeah so and i mean yeah and and i don't think there's a club this year that's really shown that they are complete top to bottom that have consistently put in week in and week out solid performances i mean Liverpool have been good. They've been bad. City have been good. They've been bad. Leicester have been good. They've also been bad. You know, it's it's a the the those teams that you're gonna be we're gonna be talking about months from now, at least you know, in theory, mm-hmm. they're no one's really like separated themselves so far this year. And I guess we, we're gotten spoiled by by the quality we've seen from the cities and the Liverpools and the Chelseas when when Conte was there. So you know, it's your guess is as good as mine. We honestly don't know. Excited about the big games this weekend. That's for sure. Absolutely. And what do you think is going to win? What do you think will win? I think I think City are going to win two one, maybe three one. Wow. Really? Uh, yeah. So. Why? I just I, I don't have a good feeling about Liverpool defensively. I think if because Gomez is almost certainly going to start, and City are going to they're going to target Gomez like there's no tomorrow. They're just going to play straight at him and make Gomez have a good game and. The way he's played recently, I I can't I can't say I'm all that confident in him. On the mm. other side, uh, you know, Liverpool could score one, but I think it's down to what kind of game Firmino has if he starts. And I think he will start just because he has been one of the the city killers at Liverpool. He's not not necessarily in just his goal output, but just what he does, what he does against a team that possesses like City. Yeah, and against the team with the itself. with the pressing and the counter pressing too. Although so. I mean, yeah. So yeah, no, you're right. For a, when in a game when you don't have as much possession, um, you're right. The link up play and the defensive, the pressing, you know, he does are, are very invaluable. So, but yeah, you have to put, include him and Jota in the team right now. Yeah. Absolutely. And I have I have a take about Salah that I'll leave for the last section. But before we wow. get to that last section, I do want to touch about I don't do want to touch on baseball a little bit because we. Okay. Don't really have much content to speak of as far as games and results and whatnot. 
but there's a little bit of news with awards and you know i think it's it's probably probably good for us to at least identify some of those and recognize some of those um you know obviously in a 60 game season the sample size is going to be a little it's going to be a little different so it's it's kind of hard to to mm. you know contextualize all of it but you know up and down i think there's there's players who i don't think either one of us were expecting to be on there um players that are certainly going to fly under the radar like um Seattle's first baseman, uh, uh, Evan White. Yeah, Evan White. Who won in mm-hmm. the American League. I mean, he. I don't think he was on anyone's radar this year just because, just by virtue of the fact that he plays for a team in the Seattle Mariners. And I know my roommate's going to kill me for saying this, but like, they just haven't been really good. And I, I think he knows that. But still, it's it's kind of, mm-hmm. it's tough to see that happen to, to people that, you know, people that you have in your life that you really care about to, to mm-hmm. watch them watch their sports teams mm-hmm. flounder. <laughs> but, you know, it's a piece of silverware for, for the Mariners. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and there's those other guys on the on both lists, I think, that we'd expect to be there. Javi Baez won a gold glove for the first time. Uh, Rizzo for the Cubs, no surprise. Uh, Nolan Arenado, again. And the one that I think, after looking at this again, I really like the most is Alex Gordon, who's riding mm-hmm. off in the sunset with a gold glove. Incredible fielder. Throughout his career, yeah, one of the best left fielders in in history, I think, defensively. Yeah, absolutely, he's absolutely lived up to that. Yeah, and I mean, what is your what is your take? I want to hear your take. Well, it's a little different because you know, number one, I wasn't actually as attentive to baseball as in years past, sure. certainly in the regular season, just because of other things going on, and you know, for whatever reason, just a sixty game season really didn't have mm-hmm. that much weight to it to me until, you know, September and October. Mm-hmm. That said, you know, some of these awards I think are still pretty consequential and they're going to, they're going to go down in the history books as gold gloves. They're not going to have a, uh, you know, a specific number of games played next to it. They're just going to look at objectively who is the best and who is, you know, who's the best defensive player at that position. And so mm-hmm. I don't think there's any real distinction. I was happy to see Max Fried win one though. That made me happy. Uh, even though the Braves ultimately did what Atlanta teams do, and I, I don't need I don't need to say it, we all know you, we all know yeah. where I'm going with this. Do you, Do you think he was worthy? Yeah, defensively he's a, he's a very solid pitcher. Okay. And yeah, no, you know, he's I think the way his mechanics are, he's able to field his position a lot better than a lot of a lot of lefties. Okay. But. You know, I I like the pick. I like I'm happy for Max Fried. You know, he's going to be one of the leaders of this team going forward. And to have you know that on his resume, I think is only a plus. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, he I would say he deserves it. Um, but you're absolutely right. Um, I think that um, to me, there's a couple players on, and in terms of the Gold Glove list that actually stand out, um, Luis Robert. He is incredible. If you just want a player that's fun to watch. Yeah. Watch Luis Robert. Luis Robert. What a player. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, so he, he, he's one. Um, and then, I mean, obviously, right. We've talked about him a lot, but Mookie Betts. Yeah. I mean, no surprises. Um, and then another one who, you know, I actually think go, I mean, okay. It's not under the radar, but I don't know why we talk about we don't talk about him. But we just take for granted 
how good Nolan Arenado is as a baseball fan. He's like, he's ridiculous. He's so good. Defensively, <laughs> he is he is the best third baseman. Period. I I wonder. Period. Where he stacks up ever? Like he he's got to be up there. Got to be up there for sure. This is eighth Gold Glove. I mean, he's not even thirty yet, is he? Uh, I think he is. I, I mean, but, but realistically, he could win, what, fi- what, 15 gold gloves is not an unrealistic number for him in his career? You know, barring injuries and, yep. and the ability to play and whatnot, but... He's the most smooth. He already has eight gold gloves. That's ridiculous. He's make, he makes the most absurd plays look like you're supposed to make them. And oh, yeah. for people who don't really watch baseball and don't really, haven't really played third base before, it, it's hard because you got to have really fast reflexes and a very strong arm. And just very good yep. awareness because you have to not only corner positions, you have to field not only uh-huh. a ball coming at you faster than most, but you also have to be able to field a position and field the bunt too. That's something that doesn't get talked about as, as much as it needs to. And yep. as far as making the bare hand, the across the body bare ranging hand. to his right, yep. he's, he's the best. Like Matt Chapman's a close, he's a second, but he's not really a close second to me. Yeah, no, well... Yeah, I mean, what's interesting? I mean, I would I would say is like you know, in that sense, Chapman's more impressive because Chapman starts like he's known for starting so deep at third base. Yeah. So I mean, if someone bunts, he's got to run like all the way up. Yeah. But bunting <laughs> but, um, is kind of a lost lost art these days. But you know, it, it is what it is. No, but yeah, I, I I I don't want to take away from that point. It is it is a good point. Yeah. No, I mean he's 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 really fun. He, he's really fun to watch. But, I, yeah, I think the gold gloves were, were interesting. There's a mix of some veteran guys and some, some good young players. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, you know, I think that was cool. Yeah. Um, I, I do want to mention, though, and I know I, you probably saw this coming when you looked at the list. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't really get why people are all that upset that Cody Bellinger didn't win in center field because, I, I'm sorry, he's, he's a little he's overrated defensively. Offensively, certainly, but defensively as well. I think he's a little overrated. Really? He makes up for some very poor routes with just good athleticism and good okay. length. Well, and that's... Well, okay, but, okay. You are absolutely right, but let me just stress this. Okay? So, you are right. I'm sure he does take, like, not great routes. First of all, don't underestimate that. He's a freakishly athletic person. Yeah, like, no, really, I... really athletic that's uh, where I'm giving want, him credit because I'm because I'm saying he's a good athlete. Right. No, no, he is. But oh, and like I'll use Mike Trout as an example. Like I said, like all the metrics think he's a below average fielder, and Mike Trout is as fast as hell. So like, yeah. Look, he covers so much ground. You know what I mean? It's like I, I maybe he doesn't take the best routes. That's a good point. But look, if you watch a Dodgers broadcast. Probably every couple games, that's what they're talking about. It's like how much ground him and Mookie Betts cover in center and right field when Bellinger plays center. Well, the other thing I'll say with Mookie Betts in the same conversation, and I know he's only been with L.A. for a year, but realistically, I don't think there's a world where he's not going to play center field at some point for the Dodgers because Cody Bellinger is one of those players who are – are the Dodgers going to be willing to pay him what he is going to demand inevitably on the free agent market or what he believes his market value is? Because, yes, he had an amazing season in 2019, but every other year since then has been 
a like a I don't know, not like an Adam Dunn type year, but like a hmm. I don't know, like a Yasmani grunt. Like his, like he he and Yasmani had really similar types of seasons where they wouldn't hit for high averages, but they'd hit a lot of homers. And I, I guess baseball is trending in that direction, but at the same time, you know, you kind of have to have a good OPS these days and. He did not have a good year this year at all. And especially in the postseason, he was pretty mediocre. Obviously, he had the big hit in game seven against Atlanta, and Dodgers fans are gonna they're gonna get at me in the comments about that. I don't, you know, it is what it is. I'm still salty. Deal with it. Uh, um, well, but like right. I, I don't know. I th- I have well, my takes on Cody Bellinger. They, look at what, I don't think they can pay Corey Seager and Bellinger, right? No. I mean, no, then so un- unless they are willing to pay the luxury the luxury tax, which I don't even know what it's going to be when they're free agents, but it'll be yeah, it'll be a lot. Who would, you rather go up. Pay Who would you rather pay up to? Mm, it's a tough one. Really I mean, you y- you know I have my take about Bellinger, so I guess you can kind of guess Seager, but even so, Seager's had an, an injury history. Like he's had he had Tommy what was it Tommy John uh, last year or. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. he has also been a little inconsistent. I mean, this year he was he played really well. He had a phenomenal postseason, obviously really World Series MVP. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I feel like we haven't seen sustained success for Seeger like we have for Bellinger. I think Bellinger's had a little more sustainable success. Yeah, in, like as a whole. Mm-hmm. That said, I think Seeger does have a lot higher potential based on what he showed in the World Series. Hmm. So, sure, you know, uh, it's, it's honestly a coin flip. I, I don't agree with the higher potential, but definitely could be the better of the players. Yeah, um, I, yeah, I, I, um, I think that Bellinger's performance next year will say a lot. You know, Bellinger, it's really interesting. Like, I think this was his fourth season with the Dodgers, and every other year, it's he, he rotates like Rookie of the Year. Pretty bad the next year. Great, you know, MVP, and then you know, not great this year, albeit. So yeah, I think we'll we'll, we'll learn a lot. Um, but overall, I trust Bellinger. I actually like him more than than Seager, truthfully. Yeah, I mean, it- I think he. I think, I think he, he's he's a smart enough guy that he. Like he can change his swing to be more. He's he adjusted it this year, but he can make it more compact. And you know, if he he's a really good hitter, man. If he just, you know, if he can just be a little more consistent with his average, then he'll be fine. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think it's still a toss up between those two, and they're still they're still young players. I mean, Cody Bellinger's our age. Corey Seager's a little older than like a few months older. So we're all we're all in the same ballpark. So and young. for context, chat we're. Willie and I are both 25. So, you know, we're not, yeah. we're not old. We're not children, you know, right in that, right mm-hmm. in the middle. So whether or not one turns out to be better than the other or what have you is still, it's a coin flip, honestly. And if you ask us five years from now, I think we'll both either one, one of us is going to feel dumb about our answers in five years. I'm pretty yeah. sure, but you know, that's, that's the benefit of hindsight and, we're not focusing on hindsight. We're focusing on the takes now. And mm. speaking mm. of takes, I do want to get to the silver slugger. Cause I feel like there were fewer, not mm. question marks, but fewer surprises with the silver slugger awards this year. 
Okay. And obviously we don't we don't have the MVPs yet. That's the one outstanding. Uh, sorry, MVP and Cy Young. They're the two outstanding awards that uh, baseball has left. But Silver Slugger, okay. I mean Jose Abreu and Freddie Freeman, no surprises. Lemayhew okay. and Donovan Solano. Didn't really watch a lot of Solano, but sure had a yeah, pretty good slash line: three twenty six, three sixty five, four sixty three in fifty four games. That's yeah. a pretty pretty solid slash line. I would yeah. I would argue for sure. Uh, Tim Anderson and Tatis Jr., no questions yeah. there. Jose Ramirez and Machado, again, no questions. Salvador Perez and Travis Darno, same thing. Mike Trout, it's the Mike Trout. Mike Trout. <laughs> uh, Teoscar yeah. Hernandez and Eloy Jimenez, mm. same thing. Soto, Mookie Betts, Acuna Jr., Nelson Cruz, Marcel. Like, there's no, there's no question marks here at all. None. Yeah. I, I don't think I have any issues with, not even issues, just... Like these are these are the best hitters at these positions. Like period, Just, yeah, it is what it is. There's so many exciting players on that list, man. Yeah. Like and particularly a lot of the young guys. Yeah, like, yeah, that's you know, got, that's what excites yeah. me specifically about about baseball is the future of this game is still very bright, even yeah. if viewership numbers are going down and attendance is going down. Obviously, all this pre-pandemic, but you know, yeah. it is what it is. But still I'll tell you what, man. Times. I mean, yeah, no, for sure. And it's exciting. I mean, it's so exciting. I'm looking at, I mean, Teoscar Hernandez and the Blue Jays. But, like, oh, but, man, the, the White Sox are going to be so fun to watch. Mm-hmm. With Tony La Russa now, it's like, oh, I cannot well, wait. That's that's one that I'm, I'm kind of curious about. And I know we'll talk about this more as we get into, you know, the offseason and what kind, of, what kind of signings, if any, the White Sox will make. I don't know if they're going to make a ton, but – you know, Tony LaRusso is going to have his own stamp on the team. Oh, so I'm sure he's we'll, not signing with the team unless. They, yeah, we'll, we'll get, know. we'll get more into that a little later, but I was a little yeah. curious about that hire just because it is such a young team and he is such an old school manager that mm. I think there could be some butting heads or it could be really effective. It's going to be either a, a great fit or an awful fit. I don't think there's any in between. Yeah. So we'll see. That's, that's all for the future though. Oh yeah, for sure. It's exciting, but, but overall, yeah great i mean all those players in the silver Lugger were incredible and yep. pretty freaking will probably win mvp uh, i hope so he should. He some should. kind of silver in atlanta he should win mvp yeah well here's to here's to wishful thinking anyways feeling the part of atlanta uh want to get into hawk takes because we're a little sure, a little short actually, on time sure that's fine let me just mention one real quick baseball thing before yeah. we get into the hot takes. i don't know if you saw the report uh, i don't know why it's not getting more press uh, but I obviously follow it. Um, Bob Nightingale, did you see his report today? Uh, does it involve a one Francisco Lindor? Does it involve yeah. a one Francisco yeah. Lindor? So, so the reason, so I'll let you share what the report is if if our uh, our listeners don't exactly yeah. know what you're talking about. Yeah. So, Francis basically said that um, in you know part because of the pandemic, um, you know Francisco Lindor is set to be a free agent. Um, you know, after the upcoming year and, um, particularly with their finances, they can't afford to pay him. And so they're, they, they're likely going to, the report said they're likely going to trade him before the season. Yep. And so I'm, I'm going to be honest, Willie, uh, I'm, I think people in baseball and people who, who watch baseball fans around Mm -hmm. the country have kind of thought that he's going to be traded at some point. I think this is more just not a formality that this report came out. I think it's more so just a, hey, just a reminder, he's been 
floated in trade rumors for a long time, and now here's actual concrete evidence and, you know, more, what's the word for it, tangible speculation that he's going to be traded, but this report effectively guarantees he's, he's being traded. And, and I, I don't blame the Indians, honestly. Um, mm. I do blame ownership for not wanting to pay a, a generational talent in Francisco Lindor, but, mm-hmm. you know, if it's a player who for whatever reason you're not going to pay going into the uh his walk year then you got to trade him and get some sort of value for him i mean just look at wow. what happened to, to mookie betts the Sox didn't want to pay him what he yep. wanted reminds me and now they're regretting it. now they're they're, they're going to regret it they are is the same thing going to happen for cleveland i don't know because the asking price is also going to be astronomical for it whoever yep. wants him and look I'll, look going i'll tell you right now um for, I think he he's going to be like Mookie Betts, man. I'm telling you, look, Mookie Betts is a better player, but um, he first of all is very underappreciated. I don't I don't think he gets because he plays in Cleveland. Yeah. I just don't think he gets the media attention. I don't yep. think agreed fans realize how good he is. Look, there's a lot of good shortstop in the MLB. I think he's to be honest by a pretty healthy margin the best. He's an elite fielder. You tell me, okay, tell me who's better, Correa? He hits better than Correa. Uh, Trevor Story? I don't think so. I mean, it's it's just kind of hard to, to establish this one, one like, the the very best okay. at your position. Well, okay, go through the shortstops and tell me who who's better than Correa. I mean, tell I wouldn't me say better, but there's there's different... There's shortstops I mean, that are better at different things, so it's a question of, is there someone who does one thing better? Oh, okay. And is there, so, so, say, for example, Andrelton Simmons, defensively one of the best shortstops. Oh, I think yeah. He, I think he either opted out or was hurt all year. Oh, he's Offensively, impressed. he's getting better, but defensively, to me, he's the best. Yeah, 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 yeah. for sure. Um, so it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, what, what do you value as far as a shortstop? Yeah, Are you but, valuing but just as offensively? A, as a complete package? Yeah. I mean, the guy hits, he's an over 300 hitter. He, he hits over 30 home runs a year, and he's a gold glove. He's won a couple gold gloves. Yeah. I no, mean, yes, I think, like, he's. Look, and I just want to stress this. I just want to stress this too. The power aspect yeah. is key in today's game. Ah, oh, so yeah, and he's look. I think he's the best shortstop in the game. He's gonna be like Mookie Betts, a lesser version when whoever gets him. Yeah, I, I mean, right. there, are better, there are better players. There are better fielders. I don't think there's a better hitter as a shortstop mm-hmm. actually. I mean, but really, I'm just I'm just nitpicking as far as like who's who's the best. I think that's still kind of an open discussion. I mean, Seager put his name back in the discussion after the postseason. Yeah, Xander Bogarts didn't really get attention this year because the Red Sox were just putrid. Sure. Um, Dansby Swanson could get in that category, but could, the hitting the hitting is not great. Defensively, he's, he's always good. Gotten he's gotten better. He's yeah. gotten better. He's gotten a better gotten a better hitter, but defensively, he's really solid. And yeah. I mean, there's a lot of good shortstops in baseball these days. So there are there are. You know. But I think I mean Bogart's look Bogart's good man, but I don't think he's in the the table with Lindor man. I might be like a little biased here. Yeah, great here, but and then of course Cubs fans will say Javi Baez, but Baez kind of plays all over the place. And then they'll yeah, say, I'm not, okay, I'm not I'm not counting Baez as a shortstop. Yeah, and then and then Baez is in the conversation. Right, absolutely. and then uh, Yankees fans will say Glaber Torres, but mm. yeah. No. Sure. There's a lot of good. I mean, this is an open discussion for sure, and, and especially when also when Corey Seager hits his free agent year, because I think 
after yeah. 2021, he's he's also a free agent. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Same with Correa, right? Correa's in that class too. It's like Correa, Lindor, oh, shit. Seager. Yeah. So I think it's okay. a loaded loaded shortstop class. Um, Bogarts is tied okay. up until he's like he's until his mid 30s at least. So okay. he's he's off the market, but you know there's a lot of good shortstops. Anyways, mm-hmm. that's for that's for more. When we get into our 2021 preview, which 2020 is almost over, which is crazy. This year just started, and I can't wait for it to be over. Mm-hmm. Um, let's get into some hot takes because I I have one particularly about about soccer that I wanna I wanna give. All right, go ahead. So. Mo Salah for Liverpool this year okay. is playing out of his mind. Yeah, he is. Seven goals in seven games in the league itself with a couple more, I think, in Europe, maybe just one or two more in Europe. Mm. And my take is that he is using this year as a walk year. Wow. He's going to demand a transfer at the end of this year. He, got Liber- he won a Champions League with Liverpool. He won a league with Liverpool. He's going to be forever known as one of one of those players who brought the title back to Anfield for the first time in 30 years. And, you know, as unfortunate as it is for fans of other clubs, but, you know, there's an established pecking order in Europe that starts with Real Madrid and Barcelona. And as much as we don't like it, and as much as Barcelona's in disarray, it's still a very attractive destination for almost every player in Europe. There's two clubs. So, you know. And Real Madrid have money to spend. They always have money to spend. Barcelona are in a period of transition, but maybe the right manager will use him as a marquee signing if Koeman gets fired, which if, if Ronald Koeman doesn't clean up his act, Barcelona is going to be all over him, specifically Messi. And you don't want Messi against you at Barcelona. It's, it's his club. Yeah. It's no one else's club. Wow. So, so that's interesting. And why do you think it's just he wants to go to those clubs, or do you think it's something at Liverpool? I think not? it's I think it's a little bit of both. I think he's just he's just shown he's really ambitious, and he wants mm. to be you know, he wants to ascend to that higher stage, and he believes there's a higher stage. I mean, I could be very I very well could be wrong, and he's just motivated to play well because he you know he hasn't really gotten the credit that he deserves the last couple seasons because he's set the standard so high for himself. But yeah, I think he's going to treat this year as a walk year. Yeah, and no. he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna go all in on his own stats to try to get the most uh, convincing argument for why he should be making you know half a million pounds a week. That's so interesting, man. That's so interesting. So, I, I don't know. I feel like I feel like this is his last year with the club. Wow. Um, okay. That's uh. Wow. Okay. All right. That's that's a really oh and that's a really really interesting take uh, and that that could potentially derail. But it's interesting you you heard about him linked with clubs and I feel like the chatter had died down. But I mean hey that's really really interesting. That I mean could, so far this year though he's looked like a man possessed. He's looked like oh he he has had a killer instinct that we don't usually see from Salah because Salah will have I don't know on an average day at least four or five clear cut chances to score. Maybe he scores one or two. Maybe. Wow. Okay. But I, I honestly don't think he's going to be at the club after the season. Wow. Okay. That that's a really interesting, um, really interesting take. Wow. Okay. All right. I got a couple hot takes. I'm going to save my juicy one for the end. Um, but the first take 
I'm going to make uh, is that this is not really super controversial, but um, okay, this might be. And I look, like I said, this this show is just about having fun, man. We're just two, yeah. two guys with sports. Guys talking um, sports. Guys being dudes. Okay. Um, I think that Eden Hazard might well turn out to be one of the worst signings in Real Madrid history. He, look, man, he, I know he's been out this season, and I'm curious to see what he looks like, but he looked like such shades of himself last year. I mean, after watching Chelsea as much as I did and watching him last year, um, I know he was, people talk about he was overweight. I did not see the same player or sh- not even flashes of it. So... I think, you know, people talk about Griezmann. I think that's more a system and just like a team thing. I think with Hazard, is it, okay, I'm just going to say it. He might be washed. He might be washed. Oof. Oof. Some big. At Real Madrid, though. At Real Madrid. Right, With Belgium, it should be fine. At at Real Madrid, you know how club that is. There was so much pressure on him. Huge signing. He obviously spoke for a few years about how much he wanted to go there. So when you combine, I think that's could what what could get to him. But we'll, yeah. we'll, see. we'll see. No, I I don't I don't dispute that at all. He very well could be, and I think part of it may have to do with kind of like a Paul Pogba type situation, because with Hazard, yep. the big point is that he was the signing that was brought in because Cristiano Ronaldo left. That I don't care who you are, that's going to weigh on you. If you play the same position as someone who is one of the all-time greats, you're going to have that expectation placed on you because you're following immediately after. Yeah. And especially at a club like Real Madrid where they demand excellence every single year. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hard to live up to that expectation sometimes. And, you know, he had been teasing that he wanted out of Chelsea for a long time. He was really successful with Chelsea, had a really good career with them. And played in some really good teams. That might have helped him perform in some years. And maybe we're seeing because the Real Madrid teams aren't as good as they used to be. Maybe we're seeing a little bit yeah. of that as well. That no, that that's absolutely true. Um, yeah, and I I also think that you know that no that 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 could very well be it. I, I think it, I think part of it. You're absolutely right. Is is the team? I feel like. A really well-oiled machine he can blend in there. And I also think just at Chelsea, um, the, the team was built around him, and it was just perfect for him the way they played. And so I think that's also part of it, too. And he's just very comfortable. So yeah, I think all those factors are, are definitely at play. But, look, you're absolutely right. If, if there is any doubt about how good Cristiano Ronaldo was, I mean, just look at Real Madrid now. Yep, so. exactly. The last two seasons, they haven't been anywhere near what they were when Ronaldo was there and when Ronaldo was at his peak. So No, not even in the same so class. We, we know he and Messi are in their own category. The whole mm-hmm. which one is better is going to uh, go on I, for a long time. I, oh, but, yeah. And you know. speaking about a team that's in shambles, Barcelona, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, God, it's almost like they haven't been the same since they went to some place in England and, and lost in the Champions League. Hmm. That was the, that yeah, that was the one that broke them. They haven't recovered from that, and I don't I don't know when I checked this, but there was a point when it was sometime earlier this year, where I checked Twitter, and Sergio Busquets' last Twitter was the day before 
the game at Anfield. That was his last. He hadn't <laughs> tweeted in a, an entire year. Anything. No. No sponsored way. posts. Nothing. Just empty. That so is I have a boring. feeling that game is still kind of broke Barcelona. Wow. And okay. you hate to see it. Yeah. That uh, that might be the end. That that uh, that did it, man. That that's crazy. All right. Okay. Well, I didn't I didn't have any other hot takes besides the the Salah okay. take. So so what do you got for us? Okay. Um, trying to decide if I want to give the juicy take or, or the secondary take. Well, maybe. What do you think? I mean, last week will or not last week. Next week will be our last episode until after Thanksgiving because I'm gonna be at, I'm gonna be actually up in Seattle visiting right. my parents. I'll just I'll just so. say my one take. Save, save your save your juiciest take for next week. We'll have to do a, a, a not a send off, right. but yeah. All right, so here's a here's a here's a tick. So, um, I actually, in doing a lot of thinking, I really want to jump to the defense of AJ Hinch in in this in this. So oh on, no, so, oh Willie, put on your your human cap for a sec. Look, I think we're way too kick quick in our society to judge people we forget like nelly mistakes are part of life so first of all we're way too quick to do that with people in general i have a really soft spot for that and i think we just it's like when we make mistakes we realize how human we are well when other people do we're just so quick to judge them but also just from what i can gather everything you know and and in reading some stuff and also people have been talking you know since he got the detroit job um he seems on like a guy that was in a place. He was a guy. We've all been there on. It happens to everyone where you're just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And sometimes we don't have the courage to do the right thing. I can tell you I have big regrets about that where I've been in a big place. I've been at the wrong place in the wrong time and I haven't done done the right thing because I was, you know, scared to. Um, and from what I can tell, Owen, um, that was the case. And look, I understand that he was the manager and, and he knew about it and, you know, he should have said something. But at the same time, you know, from all you can tell, he never approved of it. He had a real moral dilemma. He hated it. He, there was even instances I read, um, you know, there was an old Sports Illustrated article where he talked about he'd actually destroyed the, uh, a camera a couple of times because he, he, he just was sick of what was going on. And, and look, we all, look, we all know. And, and you even see commentators on TV. Like we all know how hard it is to be the one like Mike fires to tattle on people. Um, you're worried about that. So uh, look, Owen, it's, it's, it's a lot. It's always, it's so much easier in hindsight to say you should have done something, but in the moment, it's it's so much harder to do and and yeah we've all been there man we've all been there and that doesn't make you a bad person from what i can tell like aj hints might have just been a person that that didn't have that courage but i've been there and i'm sure a lot of people have too yeah i mean that is um well we'll put it this way he served his suspension and he is now the manager of the detroit tigers Let's, let's get the facts out of the way. What I want to get at is a greater cultural issue with the Houston Astros that as the manager of the players who go out on the field and perform on a daily basis, you have a gargantuan role 
whether or not you like it. Whether or not you like it, people are going to look up to you. Not only are your players going to look at, are going to look to you for inspiration and to lead them, but fans are going to look at you as a guy who can bring together a group of 25 plus individuals to get a common goal achieved. Mm-hmm. And he did. They won the World Series with some verily moral very verily some very morally indefensible practices mm-hmm. as far as competitive integrity sure okay there's also documented instances of the Houston Astros culture in the front office itself and the club as a whole being extremely toxic and for him to be the manager as long as he was to undoubtedly see a lot of those things and say absolutely nothing is ridiculous. I, I, I can't sit here and buy that he's, a, he's a, a genuinely good guy who made an awful mistake. I mean, yes, I'm sure he is a good guy. I don't know him personally, but I'm sure um, he's a good person. But what he did is it's beyond defensible. And at what point can you can you excuse that mistake? I mean, if he can man, if he can be a manager in baseball, Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame. Pete Rose should be allowed back in baseball. If any of the Houston Astros, regardless, anyone involved with that organization can still be involved with the game of baseball, then Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame. And that can be my take if you want to treat it that way. But it's absolute nonsense that AJ Hinch did not get punished more severely. And that none of the players got punished. And I guess my frustration stems with the players as well, but you're the manager of that club. You have to be the leader. And whether or not, whether or not Jim Crane had any blackmail on AJ Hinch is beyond me. But the point is you can't just be an innocent bystander. If you're the manager and hope to have the same sort of reputation. Well, uh, but I, I, and I guess I, understand your point um and i guess like you know it's one of those things where you know i mean it just like doesn't mean you know he shouldn't be held accountable to some extent but first of all you know from his public comments i know he's probably just trying to save face but for the record he's the only one that's really given he's given a lot of heartfelt apologies even before way back when when he didn't have this manager job like way back uh before the pandemic started um, you know, Carlos Beltran and Alex Cora, from what I know, and none of the players have really given any type of sincere apology. And I guess more than what I'm saying than anything is, is, is look, man, like I, I, I guess I kind of, my read from the very outside looking is, is kind of actually what you said you didn't think, right? It was just like, you know, and then he, he, he made an awful mistake and he's a really good person. And, and, and that's true in life, man. We can make awful mistakes and, and we can be really good people. And that doesn't mean that, you know, um, what he did wasn't really wrong. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, man, he's shown me a lot more character. A lot of it is how you own up to it, man, is how you own up to your shortcomings and stuff in life. And he's shown me a lot. And frankly, you learn a lot more about people in those tough times. I've gained more respect for AJ Hinch, less for everyone else. Because even, even, and look, man, even just the players, let the process play out. They made a deal in court. I'm all about protecting the process. But look, I'm astonished that the Astros players 
didn't even like have you heard anyone come out and apologize for it no i couldn't they didn't apologize I, for it they just said the commissioner had a report what, if i was a player i would have just been like even if you don't get punished been like look what we did was really wrong and but no it's like they instead they they like demonize other people who are accusing them and stuff and and so so yeah man it's just like you read aj hinch's comments he's the only one that even like even when Alex Cora was the Red Sox dude, he never said anything. And also, let's also be clear about the details here. From all the reports you read, look, AJ Hint was the man in charge. He was not really involved in like the thick of it. Like, it, it, from all the read I get, he just felt he just didn't have the courage to speak up, but he didn't like it. Alex Cora was the one that was primarily the driver of it. Mm-hmm. He's the one that. It should get. Look, if there is, a, I don't think so. I believe everyone deserves a chance to reduce themselves from mistakes in life. But a, Alex Cora deserves much more punishment than AJ Hinch. I don't even think it's close. Well, honestly. so here's here's the thing, and I I, I do want to wrap up this point because Alex Cora driven. Yeah, that's true. And in the interest of in the interest of time, I do want to wrap this up. But I will I will pose this question to you. So there's two there's two parts to it. The first part, I have been following this as closely as you have. For me, the one thing that'll make his apology actually meaningful is if he outlines tangible steps to ensure that this never happens, that these kind of practices don't happen, whether that's some sort of understanding of anti-retaliation law or establishing at uh, his new club with with the Detroit Tigers that there is no tolerance for any sort of moral shortcomings whatsoever. If he can establish that, then sure. We'll, we'll accept his apology. But for, for right now, it's just empty words. You can say you're sorry as many times as you want. And believe me, I've known from personal experience, you can apologize all you want, but you got to do something about it. You can't just say, I'm sorry. You have to put it into action. And I think Alex Cora needs to apologize too. I'm not, I'm not saying he should be, he's free of blame. I mean, he's one of the drivers of the scandal. Definitely. But well, if, 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 okay, let me, let me phrase it another way. Say you're the CEO of a business and there is rampant, instances of sexual misconduct or inappropriate workplace behavior on your watch. Yes. People who commit that, those sorts of acts and engage in that kind of behavior, those people are going to be punished. Definitely. But it happens under your watch. You're the one managing it. So you have to step in and say, this happened under my watch. It's wrong. Here's the steps we're doing to get rid of it. Make sure it never happens again. Well, you're absolutely right. The only thing I'll say is that, from all we know, you know, the MLB is preventing people from speaking out. But that was the deal, right? Yeah. Was that they would get immunity for for testifying about that? So mm-hmm. hopefully, they actually got something out of it. Yeah, I would hope. Yeah. I mean, it's it's all a broader philosophical discussion, I guess. But I guess I'm, I think you're a little quick. You're definitely quicker than I am to uh, excuse AJ Hinch for what he did and Alex Cora as well. But really. If you're the manager, you have to show some sort of leadership and hold everyone else around you accountable. Sorry, I don't want to rent. I just have to make this one final point, okay? Like, I know it was a minor thing, but, like, Alex Cora did this, like, also cheated with the Red Sox. Not only with the Apple Watches, there was supposedly, wasn't there some camera stuff, too? Uh, No, it wasn't on the same level. I think it was was related to a camera. It It was a video replay room that they had access to 
Okay. So okay, it's oh, a similar so I, it's a similar kind of thing, but it was it there weren't any there weren't any artificial enhancements to it like in Houston with the added camera in center field. Okay, but I mean, even to the smaller extent, and you know, I don't know all the details. I don't want to, you know, I want to let the facts be the facts and the due process play out. But um, look, as soon as this was found out, at least publicly. Hinch has, has said the right things. Cora, all he did was go to the Red Sox and continue that culture. And I could be wrong, but I don't know of the Red Sox ever have any any cheating problems before he was there. So, I mean, okay. we'll never know. I mean, right? It's funny you bring up Cora because right now he's one of the front runners for the Red Sox job. Ironically, well, <laughs> go back a year after serving a suspension, but you know. Yeah. Well. Okay. It is what it is. Yeah. It's a it's a broader debate, and I'm sure we'll be talking about it more as we get into the off season and and the start mm-hmm. of next season, certainly. But yeah. Anyways, I thought we weren't gonna have enough content for this episode, but we're almost at the two hour mark. So good on us for yeah. uh, for rambling about sports for two hours consistently on Thursday nights. Yeah. True. Very 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 true. All right. Any last thoughts before we get out of here? No. No. I, I just hope Lindor doesn't uh, leave, but probably will. Yeah. I. It's not looking Bundle. great for you, bud, but, yeah. you know, it is yeah. what it is. Anyways, folks, thanks for listening to this recent installment, episode 25 of Hot Takes Only. We'll see you next time.